and the Father are one. That's Love me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you Thank you. Have you ever had a bad dream? You know, one of those dreams where you're like totally unprepared for something. You're in a boardroom, a courtroom, a sales pitch, a classroom. You ever had that and you just like kind of wake up in a panic because you feel totally unprepared for something? Have you ever felt that way? I've had those kinds of dreams and I think Pastor Tracy probably has too where you're, you're like, in your dream, you're sitting on the front pew, and it's halfway through the service, and your name is up next, and you're like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to go talk, and I don't have anything to say. And, like, you have this panic, and then you wake up, and you're like, oh, thank God that that wasn't real. Those aren't great dreams, are they? Those are panic dreams. They make us feel anxious. And these dreams can reflect some kind of anxiety that is happening within our real lives. They leave us feeling like we're unprepared. Well, we have a whole bunch of seniors who've just graduated. Where are my seniors in the room? Yes, congratulations, seniors. We are so happy for them, and we're so happy for all the family members and loved ones who've supported them to help make this possible, because we know that you know, you, you, you had a big accomplishment, seniors, but it took a whole lot of people to help make that happen, and that is a great achievement. I think it's safe to say that there are many graduates and family members who are wondering what's next, and I'm not trying to induce anxiety or stoke any fears among you, uh, but I'm acknowledging that many are facing the unknown about how the next part of your life will unfold. While some are sending their loved ones off to college or into the workforce, some of you are planning for retirement or you're dealing with aging parents and making decisions about end-of-life care. Some of you are battling with your own health issues and others of you are recovering. Do you ever find it difficult to trust God when life feels unsettled? When I read this text from John's Gospel this week, my mind immediately wanted to jump to ethics. Okay, what does this mean for me? What should I do? How, how should this impact the way that I live? 
But when I jump to action before contemplation, the meaning of the text becomes anesthetized. See, when Jesus' disciples heard this prayer I just read, it was in the midst of Jesus preparing them for what was ahead of them. Jesus told his disciples that he wouldn't be around much longer and that he was going to die. Talk about an anxiety-inducing time. These disciples had their lives turned upside down by Jesus in the best possible way because of their relationship with Jesus. They saw Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, release lifelong burdens, and give the outcasts a place at the table. These disciples were a part of something that was much bigger than themselves. They were a part of God's plan to renew all things. But it wasn't easy, and it wasn't safe. And they didn't know what life would look like without Jesus. So when the disciples heard this prayer of Jesus that we just read a moment ago, it must have been life-giving for them. Even though they were filled with this great anxiety about what would happen next because Jesus was going away, they heard Jesus' hope and God's plan in this prayer. At the end of John chapter 16, prior to this prayer in John 17, we read that Jesus was talking directly to his disciples. He was encouraging them. He was giving them affirmation. He was telling them how to find peace once he would go back to his father. And at the end of this discourse, Jesus says this, in the world, you face persecution or trouble, but take courage or take heart. I have conquered or overcome the world. In the order of John's gospel, this statement came prior to Jesus' prayer of intercession, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. So what does Jesus mean? What is he saying? Why is he saying this? Take Heart, for I have overcome the world. What is he saying here? Is he foreshadowing or is something else happening? I think it's a little bit of both. Jesus understood his mission and his purpose, and he trusted in the one who sent him, his father. Jesus knew that he and his father would overcome or conquer the powers and the systems of the world that seek to enslave, to dominate, and to oppress through fear and manipulation and violence. Jesus knew the vision that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit have together to restore and renew all of creation so that perfect harmony and peace, shalom, would be restored between creator and creation. With that in mind, Jesus prays for his disciples for all of those who would embrace this good news because of the disciples' teaching and example. And then for the whole world. Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for you. What if you woke up every morning understanding that Jesus wants you to have perfect wholeness, perfect harmony and peace, and that he's praying for you to experience it? What would that do for you? to know that Jesus is praying for you. And what about us as a church? What if we recognize this truth as a community, that every time we gathered, we expected that Jesus would be praying for us, guiding us and shaping us to be the kinds of people that reflect God's shalom, God's wholeness, peace, and harmony 
in this world. See, Jesus is praying for us to embrace our identity as fully loved members of God's family who can embody love because we are loved. Have you ever prayed your guts out for something? (laughs) Yeah, I know that's kind of a crass term, but it's like you're just praying so hard because you want something to happen, desiring that God would do something extraordinary that defies what's logical or maybe even possible. Well, imagine that to an exponential degree, and that's what it's like to have Jesus praying for us, for you. And that's what Jesus is doing at this very moment, praying for us. Why does Jesus believe so strongly in making us one as he and the Father are one? That seems rather lofty, doesn't it? Make them one. Okay. Have you seen the world? It's kind of a divided place. And you don't have to look much further than church history to see all the strife and the disunity and the problems. Plus, the church today has thousands of denominations around the world. And in the USA, the church is deeply divided along political lines. In the 1960s, Dr. King said that the most segregated hour in America was on Sunday mornings during church. The divide was black and white. Today, while Sunday morning racial uh, segregation still exists, the great divide is red and blue. Studies have shown that churches in America have become more and more divided along political lines. It's difficult to see the small print on this, but this shows you a breakdown of different faith groups uh, and how they kind of line out politically. Red and blue, obviously red, you know, the conservative side, and blue, the, the liberal side, so... So it's not like religious identity was a new idea to Jesus. It's not like he didn't understand that, that, that uh, there were divisions in his time in the first century. No, he saw deep divisions among the major religious groups in the first century. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes. So why did Jesus have such great hope, such great confidence that his followers would become one as he and the Father are one? When we talk about God from an Orthodox Christian perspective, we're talking about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Or some might say that the Trinity is made up of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. While there have been many disagreements in the history of the church regarding the Trinity, uh, the most widely held view within the Christian tradition is as follows. There is one God made up of one essence, But there are three distinct persons within the nature of God. And a large contingent of Christians describe the relationship of God within this trinity as perichoresis. And no, that's not a type of virus. Uh, It's a it's a word, it means something. This perichoresis describes a, a mutual indwelling, which many scholars have described as this dance, this kind of beautiful dance. And the very nature of God is this incredible and beautiful dance where love holds the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together in perfect unity as one. We see glimpses of this intimate relationship between Jesus and the Father in the prayer recorded here in John 17. In verse 21, Jesus says, As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us. And in verse 24, Jesus says, Father... I desire that those also whom you have given me 
may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. See, Jesus' own sense of belovedness dates back before the foundation of the world. Before Jesus took on flesh and came to earth to embody God's love as a human, he experienced an eternity in this dance of God. Because Jesus knew what it felt like to be in unison as one with God. He knew that humanity and all of creation could experience this same unity with this infinite God whose desire is to make all things new in perfect wholeness, peace, and harmony. Shalom. Who of you are parents or grandparents? See those hands. All right. I just spent some time with a group of friends yesterday, and we all have kids. And my friend Max has a two-year-old, and he was talking about how incredible it was having his son and how much it's changed his life and his outlook because he's never experienced this kind of nurturing love inside of him before. And isn't that how we all kind of feel about our kids and our grandkids? This, this nurturing love, this love that just kind of bubbles up within us. We want the best for them. We will do all that we can to nurture them, to challenge them, to provide for them, to care for them so that they can be whole people in this world. And there's nothing that brings us more delight than seeing them being happy and filled with joy, fulfilling their purpose as they use their God-given gifts to be whole people in this world. We want them to make this world a better place. We want them to reflect God's vision, God's plan for shalom, for togetherness, for wholeness, for peace and unity in this world. And that's how you feel about your kids. If that's how you feel about your grandkids, now multiply that exponentially to the nth degree and you might start to understand how Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit feel about you. This God who is in perfect relational, in this perfect relational dance for all of, of, of eternity wants to know you so that you can understand and experience wholeness. Jesus wants you and he wants us to experience this kind of intimacy with him. Some of you might be wondering about this idea of oneness with God, with one another, because it isn't yet a reality, at least not fully. And I get that. See, when Jesus came to this earth, he inaugurated something new. Jesus talked often about how the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was near or among the people. And in this, he was saying that the realm of God, the creator, is present in the realm of the created world where humanity lives. Jesus said that because he was present among the people in every miracle, Every inspired word, every compassionate act serve as a signpost pointing people to what the world would be like when the realm of God fully met the realm of humanity. Jesus was essentially saying that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. And Jesus' prayer is a kind of prayer that is a now and not yet sort of prayer. When we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. When we are in the Father and the Father is in us. 
when we are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in us, we are empowered to do what is beyond our own capacity. Empathy, compassion, service, care, and seeking justice are all empowered by our connection to the divine. And every good deed that brings healing and wholeness here and now points to a future reality where all will be made whole. This prayer of Jesus points us toward that reality. And he does so by asking the Father to watch over us and to guide us into that reality. And both the Father and the Son send the Spirit to be present with us so that we can remain in God's presence to experience that intimate connection so that we can be encouraged and empowered to participate in the healing of this world. Isn't this good news? This is such good news. Well, you've probably noticed the bread on the table here. The chalices, the pitcher. These are the elements of communion. And we, when we receive these elements together, we remember what Jesus has done for us through his sacrificial death. The broken bread symbolizes Jesus' broken body. The fruit of the vine in the cup represents Jesus' blood. Jesus invites us to share this meal regularly and to do it in remembrance of him. Every time we receive these elements together, we receive the life, the sacrifice, and the essence of who Christ is in us. It's a reminder that Christ is with us and making us one. For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been receiving these elements of communion together. It's such a powerful reminder that we are a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. We are a part of a movement of believers, of followers, a vast group that makes up this body of Christ. It's a way that we say something by doing it, that we are unified as one body with Christ as its head. When we receive these elements together, we are reminded that while we are all a diverse and uniquely gifted group of people, we also remember that each one of us is broken and in need of grace, just as, the, as much as the one sitting next to us or the one sitting across the room. See, the way we receive communion here at Westlake UMC, it takes time. It takes time. People get up and you wait your turn. We come to the front of the room and we receive the elements. There's time to slow down. There's time to, to connect with Christ through these elements. There's also time to notice one another coming to the table. You can thank God for the people that you see coming up to the table, the ones you see and the ones that you don't see. And you can pray and ask God to meet the needs of those that you see coming to the table and those that you don't see, those that can't be here. And you may even sense God guiding you to be present, to be helpful, to meet someone's need in these moments when we come to partake of this incredible meal. As you receive the elements of communion today, I pray that you would have a strong sense of Christ's presence, that Christ is with us, that Christ loves us, and that Christ is working among us, making us one. I want to introduce you to somebody. 
Hi, choir. Have you wondered why this guy is back here? I want to introduce you to Flat Jesus. He's pretty great, isn't he? Uh, how many of you, um, if, if you have kids that were in elementary school not that long ago, that's not going to work. There was a project called Flat Stanley. Do any of you remember the Flat Stanley project? You know, you get the little cutout, you send it to relatives and friends in other parts of the state, maybe around the country, sometimes even around the world. And they're supposed to take pictures of Flat Stanley, and then they send the pictures back to you. And it's a way of connecting our kids to people outside of their own locale. So they have a kind of a better understanding of, of different parts of the world and where people are at and a way to connect friends and family together. It's kind of fun. So this flat Jesus here is, is kind of too big for you to carry around all summer long as you, as you travel. But we're giving you a smaller flat Jesus so that you can bring him with you wherever you go this summer, all right? And they're in the back. The ushers will be handing these out to you at the end of the service. So make sure you grab one of these because it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And I want to encourage you to do something. We're inviting you wherever you go to take pictures of you and your flat Jesus. And by the way, this one's not colored in. Make yours look great, all right? This looks terrible. Color yours in, make it look awesome. Uh, but take pictures of flat Jesus and uh, tag, uh, whether you're on Instagram or Facebook, this is an example of what that looks like. But you see the little hashtag at the bottom. It says, hashtag Westlake UMC flat Jesus, all right? So, so do that. And this is kind of a fun way for us to see where you are carrying Jesus with you because that's the truth. Wherever we are, wherever we're going, we carry Jesus with us. Jesus is making us one even when we're not together here physically in the same room. This is a way for us to stay connected, a way to remind us that Jesus is with us wherever we go. The one who prayed for us that we would be one as he and the Father are one, goes with us. How will you remember that Jesus goes with you?